0: This podcast is produced by EnergeticCity.ca, your only local and independent news in Northeast BC. To support local news and this podcast, go to EnergeticCity.ca slash join to find out more. Now, an in-depth look at the news and information shaping our community. This is Moose Talks
1: with your host, Doug Craig, on Moose FM
0: welcome to the show a little later on we're going to be joined by energetic City.ca reporter and moose talks producer jordan prentice to talk about an article that she has written about a recent burial ceremony for doig river first nations ancestral remains that removed from the C reservoir zone the article's quite extensive, uh, extensive and wonderfully written, so we'll talk all about that coming up in about 15 minutes' time. But first, the BC Nurses Union held rallies in Fort St. John and Dawson Creek Hospitals a few weeks ago to raise awareness about the worsening working conditions for nurses who are working in the Peace. To talk a bit more about the situation, I sat down with BC Nurses Union Northeast Regional Council Member Danette Thompson yesterday. Here's that conversation. Danette, thank you so much for making time for Moose Talks today.
1: Thank you for having me today.
0: So why don't you tell us a bit about um, these kind of rallies that were held at uh, in Fort St. John and Dawson Creek recently what was the main kind of reasons why these, these rallies were held and why the union was, was holding them?
1: Yeah, uh, we we just wanted to bring some attention to what's really going on um, in the, the north. I think that the south tends to get a lot of attention, but, you know, we're going on diversion often. Um, and they're diverting to another understaffed hospital because that's all we have in the north. And so it is really morally distressing on our membership. So we wanted to bring some attention to the understaffing and also to the overcrowding that's happening in hospitals across the region. Um you know patients being held in er's because there's no beds in the wards patients being held in hallways that um for for days on end so so it's just time that and we need um our our residents to just reach out to northern health and uh you know the people that can make the changes and the decisions to make sure they're connecting with them
0: Mm -hmm. i mean this is this is kind of an ongoing thing we hear about northern health and honestly kind of at bc kind of in general uh and and i thought we we'll talk more about kind of bc wide in a minute and how this all relates together but Mm -hmm. um you talk about kind of overstaffed or overworked understaffed sort of things what sort of things are you hearing from your membership in the north and even you know specifically in fort st john and dawson creek about some of the challenges they're facing both with their work and and also when they seem to speak up about the situation and ask for, you know, improvements to what's going on.
1: Yeah, I actually have a quote here from a nurse that says, I have come to realize that those leaders who do have the power to make necessary policy changes are so far removed from the front line and the bedside. um, Our advocacy efforts are then just being ignored. So nurses say that if, if they are speaking out and and they're speaking out about the safety of their patients, which is their responsibility to do, but they're being then labeled as resistant to change they're being told that they're disrespectful or that they're troublemakers.
0: Now, I I mean, I don't know if you want to sort of, you know, philosophize about this, but why do you think that's happening? Because as I understand, at least some of the leadership in Northern health have been, you know, nurses previously have worked kind of closer to the front lines, at least previously, kind of in their careers, um, you know, in healthcare and whatnot. What do you think happens and why do they, you know, get elevated to positions where they can maybe help make things better? And then for some reason that doesn't get through to them that the situation is as dire as it is.
1: Yeah, I think when you're not working in it, it's really hard to understand um, exactly what's going on. And I think years ago, patient care was so different. You would stay in a hospital for two weeks if you had a baby. Um, now, you're lucky if you're overnight. So so the acuity of the patients is, is much larger. Um, they have, they're have they much sicker by the time they're coming in to get a hospital bed. So I think that's actually changed. And I think that, you know, we have some good managers. I don't want to diss them um, But they're frustrated, too. I mean, everybody's frustrated. But if if we don't retain the nurses we have and if we don't actually listen to what they're asking for, they're not going to stay and we can recruit all the nurses we want. We're never gonna, it's a, it's a revolving door. So I've changed what I asked for to retention and recruitment because, you know, everybody says recruitment and retention, it's it's reversed. If we, we need to really focus on retaining the nurses we have, listening to the things they have to say and uh, th- what their needs are to be able to deliver the quality care that people need.
0: Now, I wonder, uh, Danette, if you ha- can offer any insight in sort of what you're hearing, you know, even from other union members, from other reps such as yourself who work in other parts of the province. I mean, this seems to be, you know, a problem across B.C. is retaining people, keeping, you know, staffs, uh, hospitals fully staffed and whatnot. Yes. What, what are you hearing in sort of the sort of systemic challenges that health is facing in B.C.? Is it similar to what we're seeing? Yeah.
1: It, it is. I think the difference in the north is we don't have the other facilities to rely on. So if if Langley, for instance, is over capacity, they can, you know, uh, divert to Surrey or or uh, a hospital across the river. That's so different for us in the north. We're, we're diverting to just another facility that um, is overcrowded, that already doesn't have enough staff. So um, so we're actually just compounding the problem in another facility. So I think that's the difference for the North is that we don't, and we don't have the support people that the hospitals down here have. Um, and by that, I mean lab and things like that, like our nurses in Fort St. John ER say they don't have lab 24 seven. And so they're waiting and it's increasing waiting times for patients who then are frustrated because you know they're, they're having to call people in at night. So um, I think those are, those are solutions that we need to look at. If, if we can't find more nurses right now, what are we doing to support patient care and to support the nurses trying to deliver that care?
0: Now you mentioned sort of the frustration that you can even sort of empathize with some of the managers of Northern Health feeling, right? And of course the frustration that frontline workers nurses are feeling. How much blame do you place on the current NDP government and even previous Liberal and NDP governments going back, you know, years and years even on sort of this wow. the situation in general in healthcare in BC and 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 their inability or reluctance to really make any changes that seem to be for the better
1: yeah obviously this was um didn't happen overnight and it's been years of building and the union's been warning the government both government you know when the liberals and uh the ndp that these times were coming and um it did fall into tough years but you know warren right now uh, I don't even want to play the blame game. We are where we are. Let's use that energy to solve this. Let's, you know, pull together and try to fix it on the front line. Because, I mean... Yeah, I just feel like it's energy wasted. Healthcare should be nonpartisan. We should all be invested in caring for, for the people in our communities. And there are our families. there are our friends. And I know nurses are invested in caring for their patients in their communities, where, whether they're in, you know, community, long-term care or acute care. Um, we just need government to actually work together to get this resolved.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, when we wrote uh, our article on kind of the rally that was happening in Fort St. John over at EnergeticCity.ca, um, we did get a statement from Northern Health. And it was sort of, you know, uh, if I could be a little glib about it, a little flim flam, you know, sort of we recognize the challenges. We work with our partners in the union, that sort of thing. I wonder what you, you and or the union have kind of heard with Northern Health. What are they saying back to you to say this is why? We can't solve this problem right now, or these are the challenges we're facing. Are they saying things like that, that some of these these things that that the union and nurses are hoping will get better are just unfixable problems? Is is that something they say or is it sort of we're going to work on it and it just never really happens?
1: Well, yesterday we were in meetings um, over some of this and they did say they're trying to be more proactive, looking at things ahead of time. Really, the use of agency nurses is huge. And don't get me wrong, I am grateful that we have those nurses coming in to assist and to provide care. But if we actually invested that money into nursing and even nursing seats so, so our own kids from BC could... Get into the program without coming from for a eighty thousand dollar debt load coming out. I mean, I just think we have money better spent there. Um, I don't sometimes, I actually, if I'm being truthfully honest, I don't know that they get how hard it is like making a decision about who you're going to care for or having somebody that's. Inappropriate. well, any patient is inappropriate to be put into a hallway and there's not enough equipment there. There's not a placement. Fort St. John doesn't have an ICU open again. Um, it's so hard. They're going to work already just almost feeling defeated. Um, just they need management to come in and do a tour and support them and, and go in and see, like hearing it's one thing when you actually see it, that's another. And I think that if our members saw um management coming in that would that would go a long way to help too come in go see them support them thank them for what they're doing
0: all right and one final question for you Danette. um and this might be a tough one to answer cuz again i you know seem kind of locked in this cycle that just keeps getting worse but I mean, what what's next for the union in terms of continuing to advocate for nurses who are overworked, who are stressed out, who are retiring, who are moving on to different careers, who don't want to be nurses because of just how difficult the situation seems to be in in BC healthcare and Northern Health specifically.
1: Yeah, um, in our last contract that we just ratified in April, we actually are the first... Uh, place in Canada to have um, achieved patient ratio. So that means there will be a um, maximum number of patients that one nurse will have to take care of. And so I know those that might seem like a unicorn right now, but what it's going to do is it's actually going to show how short people are actually working. And so I think from there, knowing that we can then work together, with you know we just want to be a part of the solution so how are we going to attract people to our province how are we going to keep them here how are we going to fill up our seats right now the first time ever our colleges have empty seats in nursing i was just talking to a nurse this morning um from Quinnell, and uh half of their seats 11 she said they only had 11 students in her a year she's in third year of the 22 seats available so that's alarming. So I know that the government has actually incentivized trades. Um, you know, young people to go into trades. They're paid to get into to trades. They're paid to go to college. Um, they're paid to do their preceptorships. Like, what are we doing for healthcare? Um, nothing. So other than the HCAT program, which is like um, bringing uh, care aids in, mm-hmm. but we really need to take a look at that for nursing. How are we going to attract young people to this field? Because It's a fantastic career. It really, really is. And there's so much opportunity. But first, we have to solve the issues um, of not having enough of us. And it's a worldwide shortage. And I don't think that, you know, um, yes, there's lots of internationally trained nurses here in Canada that we need to ensure we're bringing to the bedside. But we can't be just, our solution can't be stealing nurses from other countries. It needs to be creating our own here.
0: All right, Danette. Well, I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, tell us all about this and, and share your thoughts. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: That's Danette Thompson, who joined me yesterday in conversation. Uh, she's with the BC Nurses Union. Uh, we'll be right back at Moose Talks. We're going to be talking with energeticcity.ca reporter Jordan Prentice right after this. <laughs> welcome back to the show. I am Dub Craig. Now today, I'm very excited to welcome my next guest. Uh, you know her, uh, from, uh, the community roundup she does on our Moose FM and uh, Fort St. John today Facebook pages. You know her as the sports reporter mainly over at energeticcity.ca and She also happens to be the producer of Moose Talks. I'm very glad to welcome today Jordan Prentice to the show. Jordan, welcome to being a guest on Moose Talks.
2: (laughs) Well, thank you so much for having me today, Doug.
0: I'm very grateful (laughs) for your time. I'm now, uh, just so everyone knows, running the show and the video cameras at the same time (laughs) since you're here. So uh, we're here for a serious reason, of course, because you've got this wonderful article that you've been spending something like the last month on or something uh, all about a burial ceremony that recently took place. Uh, the Doig River First Nations have moved um, some people who were in the sightsee reservoir zone to another place as sort of part of preparing for the fact that the reservoir is going to be filled. Uh, tell us a bit more about the article and some of the things you uh, discuss in it.
2: Oh Well, it's, it's, a, it's a long one. But um, it's, it's full of information. And, and when, I, when I received the invite to the burial ceremony, I, I was honored to, to have the opportunity to, um, to be present at such an event. Um, so, but I wasn't expecting it to turn into this huge, deep dive into, into all this stuff surrounding um, uh, dams and reservoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, before I get into that, um, some ancestral remains for Doig River First Nation were within the uh, inundation zone for site C um kind of in the Peace Valley area I believe yeah so and and just to be yeah.
0: c- clear inundation essentially means where the reservoir is go- yes. where the water is yes, going to sorry. be right
2: yes now. where yeah. the water is going to be and um so BC Hydro funded the ceremony and and paid for this piece of land in this area, um, kind of where the Halfway River meets the Peace River, mm-hmm. um, but basically they exhumed these remains and took them to this area that's called Atachi. And the reason it's called Atachi is because it is Chief Atachi is it's his final resting place. Mm-hmm. So they wanted they not only wanted the remains to be closer to his final resting place, but um, at Doig River First Nation, they don't believe in cremation, and um, so they they want remains to be buried in in the earth, like in their natural state. So yeah. I I feel like kind of one one Doig River First Nation member said to me they didn't want the remains to drown. Yeah, right. So it makes sense. Um. So yeah. So it was in the corner of this farmer's field. Uh, we got there. Uh, We all, like, kind of convoyed out there. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really cold, but a beautiful, clear day. And um, Chief Atachi's grandson, Jerry Atachi, who is a Doig River First Nation elder, um, he kind of led the ceremony, um, began with a prayer, and then there was a performance by the Doig River First Nation drummers. Mm -hmm. And then... A crane lowered the remains into the ground,
0: mm-hmm. so you got invited to this and mm-hmm. and and sort of bore witness to what was happening and and sort of took part in sort of a you know visited i guess is a better way of you or a you know an observer. that's the word I'm looking for and then, as you say, you started to find out sort of why this is happening and and it kind of went out from there, so you know, tell me a bit about why. Sightsee, uh, and, and, and more accurately, BC Hydro decided to help fund this whole situation?
2: Uh, um, well, if you were to ask uh, Doig River First Nation members, yeah. they would tell you that. Sorry, I should say Jerry Atachi specifically. Mm-hmm. After the ceremony, um, I had the opportunity to speak with Jerry for a long time. Like, I drove back to town with him, yeah. and the whole drive, he just told me so many amazing and and s- amazing things. So, sorry. Anyways, um, if you were to ask Jerry, he would tell you that BC Hydro funded the ceremony because they failed to meaningfully engage with the Fort St. John Beaver Band on the Site C project before other First Nations within the area. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, the Fort St. John Beaver Band um, is... The Blueberry River First Nation and Doig River First Nation, they are the first people of the peace region. Yeah. And I believe in the 1970s, they split from the Fort St. John Beaver Band into the two First Nations. So,
0: so Hydro essentially sees this as sort of an act of reconciliation. Yes. In a way.
2: Yes. Yeah. And I asked BC Hydro three times separately why they didn't engage with those two first nations first and they did not provide me with a direct answer to mm-hmm. that so
0: now there's more implications that the article kind of goes on to and that's sort of the how the climate mm-hmm. is going to change around the <laughs> reservoir at site c i mean you've got ca- you know i've talked to people who say you know it's windier here and windier around the williston reservoir which mm-hmm. of course is now like one of the largest lakes in bc that didn't exist before the WAC Bennett Dam was yeah. was built, right?
2: Yeah, so this is this is where it, it really got kind of intense for me in my process. Um, when Jerry was talking to me on the drive back, he said to me, since the Bennett Dam has been built, he remembers when it was built and when it came into operation, the weather has changed, it's got windier, it's less cold, et cetera, et cetera. So that really got me thinking, like, how can I fact check this? Mm -hmm. Um, So I started looking, I reached out to BC Hydro, was waiting for a very long time for information on that from them. Um, But I I spoke with Environment Canada and I looked at historical records and the meteorologist at Environment Canada, she told me um, that obviously if you build a lake, it's going to create a microclimate. So there's inevitably going to be... um, impacts on the on the climate surrounding so that got me looking at the environmental impact statement of sites from for site c sorry and um i kind of dove into the 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 impacts that site c is expected to have um in the area and uh yeah like i said (laughs) there's a lot of information
0: yeah and i mean i suppose that's the key right expected they they won't actually know until the reservoir is filled all the way and we sort of see what happens right
2: yes i mean they can they they had um you know sorry i'm just looking at my notes um they had these two they've had programs in place to kind of monitor and predict um you know they have their they actually have their own um weather stations set up that are not through environment canada i believe yeah um to kind of like i said monitor um and yeah, they they have their predictions. Like one prediction that really stood out to me a lot. Um I'm sure that this is really going to to get some 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 people talking, but <laughs> there is expected to be 118 hours of increased an increase of 118 hours of fog at the Taylor Bridge. And wow. 118 hours. That is crazy to me. Me, right yeah, so. so
0: it's gonna be even foggier mm-hmm. around here than it is now mm-hmm. incredible yeah well it's it's a wonderful article it's going to be published later today at yes. energeticcity.ca yes. correct yes. yeah and it's uh definitely well worth your time to take a read as i said it starts with this story about the burial ceremony and sort of moves on past the implications of why that happened who was involved and and all these sort of things it's a great article jordan thanks for writing it And thanks for taking a few minutes to uh, talk to us about it today.
2: Yeah, I I would just like to say that um, I hope those who do take time to read my article learn as much as I did and are able to kind of also gain some perspective on what Doig River First Nation has experienced on their long journey to resolution with BC Hydro as well.
0: Absolutely. Jordan, thanks so much for this.
2: Yeah, thank you for having me, Doug.
0: You're very welcome. That's Jordan Prentice, the uh, reporter for EnergeticCity.ca, who's uh, written a wonderful article. uh, Oops, put myself up there. I've written a wonderful article that you'll be able to read at EnergeticCity.ca a little later today. My thanks to our guests, Danette Thompson and Jordan Prentice for joining us today. Make sure you stay up to date every morning with local news delivered straight to your inbox. You can sign up for the EnergeticCity.ca newsletter right now at EnergeticCity.ca slash newsletters. While there, you can also keep up on local municipal government politics with the Peace Politics newsletter. And there's also a winter events one available as well. Sign up now at energeticcity.ca slash newsletters. That's our show for today. Jordan Prentice and Trey Lopashinsky are the producers of Moose Talks. I'm Dub Craig. Be well.